All right. Welcome to the Data Ops Podcast. I'm your host, Banjo Biami. And I'm Victoria Guido. And today we're interviewing Mike Carley from Streamsets. Hey, Mike. Hi. Hi, guys. Um, How are you doing? Excellent. Thanks, Thanks so, for having me on. Yeah, yeah. So can you give us a little bit of a background about yourself, Mike? Uh, yeah, I, it, uh, to put it politely, I don't have really a, a traditional background in data engineering, but yet here I find myself as a, as a lowly blue collar data engineer, I guess. Um, so I guess I really got, I started, so I, I'm probably one of the few people I know and I, that I've ever even heard of who actually got into the technology side of the software business from the sales side. Mm-hmm. So I actually, uh, it's a long and complicated story. I graduated college in 2009. There weren't a whole lot of job opportunities when things graduate, when I graduated, it kind of sucked to be honest. So I ended up selling everything I own and traveling around the world and teaching English for a while. So I lived in like Italy and I lived in China for a couple of years. And I went and got my master's degree in lobbying and public affairs of all things. And, uh, that's where I started to get like into the data side of stuff, which was a lot of fun. I, I still dabbled in quite a bit of business, like doing RFPs and whatnot for the, the polling firm uh, that I was a, a research assistant for. Uh, while I was a research assistant, that's where I started to get introduced to like a lot of different statistical methods for uh, doing sentiment analysis and stuff like that and different polling methods. And uh, that's where I first started to kind of cut my teeth on that uh, and then I actually uh, uh, I, I, I was still living abroad at the time while I was getting my master's degree I was living in uh, the UK going to school at Brunel University um, and working at that polling firm was great it was called Comres uh, they did a lot of really interesting work um, and they actually kind of inspired my my master's thesis around deliberative democracy which is um, using a a commercial product uh, as as kind of political cover for making really tough political decisions. But anyways, long story short, I go into advertising, uh, get sucked into Google AdWords, more technical analysis there. Uh, and then I end up at MicroStrategy over in Tyson's Corner uh, doing business development over there. And then I actually ended up uh, joining the military right around the time the Boston Marathon bombings happened. Uh, and that's where uh, I started to really get into um, the technology world, more data analysis kind of stuff, where uh, when I joined the military, I actually joined the, the intelligence community. And so I went on active duty orders for uh, Operation uh, Enduring Freedom. And then I went on uh, active duty orders again uh, for um, Inherent Resolve, or sorry, Operation Inherent Resolve. Uh, and that was great. To, to do a lot of interagency data analysis stuff. Um, but after that was over, um, I uh, went to work for Oracle Public Sector as a sales engineer. Uh, and then after that, I landed at Streamsets, which is my current cake, which is a, uh, uh, a data engineer, which is, I guess it's kind of fulfills the prophecy that I've always been doing this data engineering stuff. It's just the tool set and the nomenclature is different, which is great because <laughs> now, now we have words to describe my feelings and my frustrations and stuff. But yeah, that's kind of me. That's kind of how I ended up at this. It's a, it's, a, it's a roundabout story, but but I'm fortunate enough to be here. It's a blast. Lots of experience. We're going to have a whole lot of episode just about each of your jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got stories from each chapter. And they're they're all, all good. It's all good. 
Well, we'll start with your current chapter working at stream sets. Can you tell us a little bit about stream sets? Yeah, so uh, stream sets is a really interesting company. Um, it, as cool as the technology is, I actually think it makes more sense to explain stream sets from the perspective of the people that started it and continue to work there. So uh, if you look at the, uh, the pedigree of the company, so to speak, as, as a form of people, uh, you have this guy, Garish Pancha. He's the CEO of StreamSets. And he was the chief product officer at Informatica for about 15 years. Uh, and then the other guy who's the chief technology officer at StreamSets, our kind of co-founders, is Arvind Prabhakar. Now, Arvind Prabhakar is a really interesting name because he was like, uh, I forget the exact number, but he was like employee number eight at like Cloudera. Uh, and basically he was the, I forget the exact title, but he was like the director of engineering or something along those lines at Cloudera for data integration. So basically, early days at Cloudera, it was his job to build the tool set to get data into the cluster to actually make it useful. So that way you could run your MapReduce jobs, you could run your Spark jobs, and you know you do your Hive queries and all that kind of crazy stuff. Um, so he actually led the team that wrote Scoop and Flume. Um, and, uh, and so those two guys got together and started this new company saying, hey, these repeatable operations around data um, are, are a very real thing, and, and some of the leading data organizations are are really cutting their teeth on this problem. So that's that's StreamSets. We have a we have a whole platform to do that. We have a series of um, purpose built data engineering uh, engines for that. Um, uh, we're core at our open source, um, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been a blast. There's been a lot of great adoption in the in the open source community, and we have. A lot of federal use cases that are really interesting. We have a lot of uh, Fortune 500 use cases that are really interesting. Uh, it's been been a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds like Streams is like almost like data ops as a service. You know, have all these cool tools and integrations, and just getting creating a data pipeline for your customers so they can create value from all their data. Yeah, and you know, it's funny too because there's a lot of other companies that take on data ops. Uh, and they try and take on uh, data data ops as a service. And you can kind of see they all have a different strategy and a different philosophy they all bring to the market. So like, you know, if you consider one part of the competitive market, like Fivetran or Matillion, uh, all those guys, maybe they focus on more of like a, a more democratized, less technical form of data integration, but they go wider. So like if you want to do like... Um, dump your AdWords into Snowflake or something like that. Fivetran's probably a really good example for that. If you don't really have a particularly t deep technical team um, or even the wherewithal to manage all that stuff. Um, and Matillion is really focused on more like push down technologies. I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Matillion, but they have their place in the market. And StreamSets has really kind of been founded with this idea of data ops in mind. So other companies, um, talk about some of the capabilities of data ops, like the ability to handle drifting sources of data, whereby somewhere in the data supply chain, somebody will add a column or whatever and not send you an email about it. So invariably something breaks and you got to go back and retrain your model or you got to redo whatever. Um, and building that kind of resiliency is, uh, is a, a huge part of what, what's, what StreamSets does. And it's really... Uh, as things stand right now, my personal belief, and this is not really the company's, but my personal belief is that um, we've had uh, data engineers have found great success with the tool 
um, because they're the ones who really have to kind of fix that stuff. Whereas other quote unquote data opsy tools take a very different philosophy uh, uh, and practice. But because of the pedigree of the company, we have a long history of trying to approach and solve this problem. Uh, and we, we kind of require that, it, that it, it's, it's best solved on a, on a pretty technical level. Um, because invariably you're working with sources with high throughput, uh, just stuff that's dangerous for the general public. You know, it, it, any, anytime they get near a cluster and they got to start troubleshooting a cluster, it gets real complicated, real fast. So yeah, that's, that's kind of, um, uh, stream sets in a nutshell. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you also mentioned you have a lot of federal use cases. So I know Victoria, you've talked a lot about different federal use cases along in this area. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. What's going on. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny. Um, in one of our first episodes, we were talking about the Library of Congress, right, and the huge mm -hmm. data set that they have there. Um, and then afterwards, I talked with a, a friend who works there. And he mentioned that the, it's so fragile, the way that it was constructed um, based mm -hmm. on best practices when it was built, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I'm curious, kind of the things you started to mention about data drift and identifying, like does stream sets will be something that can kind of help you identify like where is your data gonna be breaking or, or how do you resolve that um, for yeah. the older data sets that are been out there a long time? Yeah, so I always kind of think about it like, uh, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs in a sense. So like, I have a project, I have a budget, I have a team of developers. We all know how to code stuff, that's all well and good. But invariably you'll find that the coding, uh, it's quick and it's dirty and it works. And the most permanent thing is a temporary solution in the world of IT sometimes. But the, the problem is, is that that's brittle. And the, the really scary problem, the really scary one that we, we've encountered with stream sets is that stuff breaks and you don't know that it's broken. So you start acting on dirty data, which is really scary. <laughs> and there's no monitoring typically built in place. And if there is, it's still gonna be pretty brittle. So um, what we've done is we've designed, uh, we have an open source tool called Data Collector um, that was originally built to, to kind of solve this problem. So Data Drift is really a great example of uh, trying to solve that uh, a problem that data ops take or uh, data ops is a series of practices and tools kind of takes. So um, Chris Berg does a great job of, of talking about data ops too. And he kind of talks about building repeatable processes and he kind of does this great comparison around Kaizen manufacturing. Streamsets does uh, a lot of that, but it's focused within the tool. So it allows you to build a repeatable process with things like pre-made processors and monitoring that happens out of the box. And, you can actually um, build your pipelines to be able to handle whether or not you want to allow for that kind of data drift. So if something does change in your pipeline, something changes about the data that you've ingested, uh, let's say for example, Twitter, for example, decides to change the structure of their tweet. So your JSON file is gonna look totally different all of a sudden. Um, do you wanna shut down your data pipeline or do you want it to, to continue to operate? You just wanna know about it. Or do you not even care? And do you want the pipeline to still work? That's like data drift is kind of a, a fundamental issue around data ops of how you handle that. But there's other things associated with data ops that uh, we get used for. So it's a lot of the repeatable processes, it's speed and time to development, the pre-made processors. Those are all pretty common features in the ETL field. Um, 
but again, the, it's the flexibility, the repeatability, the pre-made processors, all that kind of stuff combined with an open source package. And then the other neat thing about stream sets is that at its core, if, if, if we're going to kind of let our hair down about what data collector really is, is <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll just let our hair down. Uh, it's, it's a Java jar. So the neat thing about incorporating that as a Java jar, and keep in mind, uh, I should have mentioned earlier, data collectors actually run uh, almost entirely in memory. The only thing that it writes to disk is the actual offset of the files that you've ingested so far. So because it's really a Java jar, you can actually deploy that inside a container. Now, once you go ahead and you put that container inside a pod and you wanna go ahead and use the auto scaling capabilities of Kubernetes, that actually allows you to tie the logic and the performance of that particular pipeline to the physical hardware consumption on the box. And um, if you want, because of the orchestration and the uh, monitoring that's already built in, you can actually tie your ingestion records per second to something like an SLA. So that allows you to become a service provider, which is what you really are if you're writing those data pipelines, you're enabling other people to access and, and use that data. So going back to uh, use cases inside the federal government, one of the best use cases that we get used for for just these types of things around data ops um, is our, um, our uh, 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 Department of Defense uh, comptroller uh, use case. So uh, this is one of the things I'm proudest of because of uh, my work with the military previously where I worked a lot in the intelligence community um, and, and inside the Department of Defense was uh, specifically around uh, how we help do the audit. So. Uh, I'm not sure if anybody's really familiar with the history of the DOD audit. It's long and it's complex. It uh, <laughs> yeah. So, it, Banjo, if you're unfamiliar, it's one of those things where Congress literally passed a law like 20 years ago, more than that, 30 years ago, because I think it was in the early 90s they originally passed it. And there's this joke of the federal government, especially inside the DOD and especially inside the Air Force, where they go, there's a waiver for everything. Well, it turns out the Department of Defense was actually able to get this waiver for this law that Congress implemented that every federal agency and department must be uh, under, must undergo an audit, an annual audit, to make sure that what Congress spends its money on, it actually gets. So if I buy 10 aircraft carriers, I'm going to have an audit that's going to go through and say I have 10 aircraft carriers. Well, it's more complex. They have uh, $2.8 trillion dollars of assets under management so that's a lot that's uh, as, as far as people are concerned it's it's the largest audit in human history so uh within the dod you have about last time i checked as far as the audit goes about 60 different authoritative sources of record um uh, across wow. various service branches so you can try to imagine following a change management practice for each one of those just to complete the audit you're gonna have data drifting all over the place. Uh, you can't, you, that's beyond the scale of, of human ability to, to control and yet let the ability, uh, or yet the, let the DOD finish its mission. So you as a, as, a, as a developer have to find some type of solution that can handle that type of chaos. Uh, and if you manually hand code those, those pipelines, that's just, that's just not gonna work. Yeah. That's really interesting bringing up um, supply chain management because I was reading the Gartner article on the website about how supply chain leaders have to enhance some decision-making abilities, especially, um, you know, there's so much data 
for your whole supply chain now and the world is so complex and mm -hmm. how do you take that data and winnow it down to get something useful out of it right like you don't mm -hmm. want your executive decision makers seeing all the data about your entire pipeline you want to show them something useful um, mm -hmm. so how does streamset kind of support that and get that value out of that data yeah that, that's actually a great case um so i think one of the other things that really makes uh, a data engineer uh, special and a machine or a, a data scientist special is typically they're not just working in multiple industries at once. And that's why I kind of consider myself a, a, a blue collar data engineer, I guess, because I do write data pipelines, but um, it's, it's much more abstract. There's always an element of domain knowledge, especially when it comes to supply chain management. So, um, Transcom is a great example uh, if we're talking about federal customers as well. They're, they're the, the quintessential uh, supply chain management example whereby they have lots of different data sources. Those things all kind of drift around. There's lots of data um, and different people need different things. So um, with the repeatability that StreamSets offers with those pre-made processors, with it being entirely open source, uh, it actually allows people to apply their domain knowledge and extend whatever existing pipeline IP or existing uh, origins or destination IP that exists and customize it around that. So for example, if, I don't know, let's say UPS and Transcom have to integrate on shipping rocket motors to a base uh, somewhere in Utah, for example, um, and StreamSets doesn't do that and there's not a tool in the industry that does do that, Streamsets will allow you to use the extra or the, the open source uh, core methodology that we have to extend that uh, so that way you're not left high and dry and you have to reinvent the wheel. That's really cool. Yeah. And of course, this is a big thing right now with coronavirus. There's so many things that are getting disrupted or things are shut down or there's, you know, there's not enough supply <laughs> happening. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure this is going to be more and more of an issue going forward. Yeah, well, that's where that's where I actually get kind of excited is um have you guys ever used like nifi before oh patchy nifi yeah yeah <laughs> <Pain. laughs> yeah exactly it's don't get me wrong I, i'm not the biggest fan of nifi either it has it had its place um and i'm sure it had its place at the nsa when they were using it and building it out too um but nifi fundamentally and streams has takes the right approach in that your data lives everywhere so like minify is a great example uh, StreamSets has had its own, um, uh, we called it Edge. Um, there's other companies that offer the ability to collect data at the Edge. So again, those data ops processes are uh, important. So like you have the fundamental tension between collect everything but only present some. And then you also have a third tension pointing you in another direction where certain customers only want to see certain data that's relevant to them. So by having the, the fundamental tool set to collect everything, process it per on a per customer basis, reuse and extend that logic, that's really the repeatable process as like a manufacturing process that you want. It's almost like um, if you look at the manufacturing process that Tesla takes um, with its uh, with the manufacturer of, uh, of uh, the Gigafactory out there, where is it, like Nevada someplace, uh, if you ever watch interviews about Elon Musk talk about it, what they did was they selected the Gigafactory because they literally built it on top of a giant lithium deposit. 
Now, the most important part of those cars are the batteries. So there's about 15,000 18650s in the car itself. So they literally calculated the energy requirement to extract the lithium, build the batteries, put it in the car, ship it out. What's the total cost of that energy? Human energy, electrical energy, everything. Uh, and that's really what you're doing too. Instead of refining lithium, you're collecting all that data, refining it, shipping it, and building the purpose-built product, which is the dashboard to the customer. Right. If you ask me, that's my- Basically that's like my the data thing. factory, collecting the data, then shipping it to correct the user that needs it. Exactly, exactly, yep. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. I like that stream set. You also mentioned a lot of it is open source. Uh, how, how does that go about? Yeah, I think that's um, Arvind Prabhakar's kind of philosophy at work. I think he sits on the Apache Foundation board somewhere. Um, but yeah, if it, you know the the surrounding tools that that we uh, have sources and syncs with Kafka, Hadoop, uh, you know, I mean, take your pick, MySQL. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, they're fundamentally open as well. Mm -hmm. um, where the stream sets as a company is able to survive is we found that the data pipelines are good, um, but orchestrating them together as a single product, as a supply chain is really, really where you can actually have uh, a basis for IP um, and that it gets you the adoption that you want. Uh, but once you have enterprise level requirements, those kind of go in the control plane. So again, having, 20 data collectors orchestrated inside a Kubernetes cluster, the primary way that you would create together is through uh, the control plane. And so like that's where it starts to get really interesting too is, I, I know I've talked a lot about data collector and that's what we're kind of best known for, but uh, one of the other things that we're fast becoming known for is our other product, Transformer, which is, uh, I don't think it's open source yet, uh, but, it's, but it's available uh, uh, on a trial basis right now. And that's basically allowing you to build Spark pipelines really easily. So that way nobody has to learn how to write, uh, you know, inner left joins in Scala and how to do slowly changing dimensions uh, by hand uh, from Kafka with Oracle CDC and uh, write that out to S3. That just sounds like a nightmare to learn another programming language and write that debug. So. And that's, I actually did get a question from a group Ooh. about, you know, if I'm a if I'm a product owner and I'm thinking, should I get streams or should I just hire a specialized consulting group to come in and clean up my current data infrastructure? You know, what would your response back to be about that? Why, why should I go with stream sets um, to add into my platform here? Yeah. Um, I mean, it always depends. Like the nice thing about, uh, being a sales engineer is like, I can always say like, no, we're just not a good fit. Like <laughs> you don't want to spend your money with us. I'll tell you that right now. Um, but I can tell you fundamentally, uh, the success that we've had, uh, is because you have developers and you pay your it people a fair chunk of change. Um, and that's because the knowledge that they have is pretty rare and pretty useful. Now, for them to actually be effective, um, they can hand code stuff and they can do that, but there's a productivity multiplier generally. Um, source tool are great, um, but I always tell people, uh, do you ever read that kid's story if you give a mouse a cookie? Yes. So, 
So if you give a developer the ability to build data pipelines really easily, they're going to want some orchestration with them. And if you give them the ability to orchestrate different pipelines, they're going to want some security around those pipelines. So it, it, it's, it's almost once you start climbing Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you have, uh, I always have this image of Patrick from SpongeBob SquarePants in my mind. You know that meme where he goes, I'm, take all the stuff and you push it over there. <laughs> once, you, once you have the data pipeline that fundamentally takes the stuff and pushes it over there, invariably the, the end customer is going to want to shorten that cycle and they're going to want to make it more secure and they're going to want to make it more trackable. So they're going to say, okay, what's the lineage around the pipeline? I want, I want complete traceability around what you did, how you did it, when you did it. So that way, if anything's wrong in the dashboard, I can automatically rewind and see what you did. Or I only want me and this guy to be able to access on Tuesday or Thursday night. Can you give me the ability to do that kind of thing? Gotcha. And certainly dealing with federal customers, I know like we're interfacing with DOD and DOS and all kinds of uh, foreign entities as well. So we want that ability to track um, the data drift and other security issues like you mentioned. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All the time. Like uh, I'm actually really glad you brought that up because I totally forgot. Um, one of my favorite products uh, at StreamSets that we just put into Data Collector now uh, is called Data Protector. So it actually allows you to define a streaming data classification and protection policy. So in the intelligence community, we had so many problems with that where you would sign uh uh, an international like security agreement. And basically what StreamSets allows you to do from the entire data supply chain is from the sensor or from the, the weapon or, or whatever out there in the field, you could provide real time streaming information to your, to your ally based on the policy that you put in practice. So that gets me really excited whereby countries can actually share intelligence assets and treat it as though they have an SLA. So you can have a data quality SLA and you can have a data timeliness SLA. So that way their force is independent of your sensors. Right, you're basically encoding policy into your pipeline, which is pretty cool. Right, so that's a, I mean, if you ever get a chance to, to talk to Arvind Prabhakar, it's, it's a really interesting theory he's got that the general movement of the world is going towards uh, more numerous data sources. So the data sources are always gonna increase every year. The applications, that transact on that data are actually gonna become more modular uh, and more disparate. And there's gonna be more um, uh, different disparate teams kind of working on those as they become containerized and Kubernetes kind of scales up. Um, so where does that leave you uh, as an IT organization to actually actuate the whole organization and monitor what's going on? Uh, and his theory is that it's actually in the connective fabric between the numerous data sources and the numerous applications. And that's really kind of what data ops is at, at its heart. It's that connective fabric. Kind of how DevOps connected code to deployment, now data ops connect data to deployment basically and how you can get value from that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so the DevOps people, we've actually found love data ops the most because your data pipelines, when you have a new update and you push it, you could actually just go ahead and with a single click of a button, complete that whole DevOps cycle to actually implement a new data pipeline. And it'll pick up where the last uh, offset was and all that kind of stuff uh, with your new logic or not. It's entirely up to you of how you want to configure that. 
but the ability to, to, to basically get push a new pipeline is, is huge. Yeah, that's really filling a gap with, uh, when it comes to data ops. I feel like having that kind of DevOps mindset to data and then applying some of these things and stream sets seems like a tool to help push that forward to have more data ops, more generalizable with uh, developers everywhere. Oh yeah, and with um, with uh, the Delta Lake format and stuff like that coming out, oh my gosh, it's <laughs> it's only becoming more and more interesting. Where that connective tissue actually becomes your whole uh, data layer, so to speak. Whereby with the uh, ephemeral Spark clusters, you could basically prepare every hour, every every day, every whatever a huge data set into a an, into a quickly analyzable format like Parquet. So you could take, you know, multiple disparate CSV files, run a Spark job on them, dump them into S3, let QuickSight or Click or, or MicroStrategy or whomever, look at them and do the fast analysis on that Parquet file. And that's, and those pipelines become the IP that funds all those dashboards basically. Uh, I just, I, I think that's all fascinating. I think it's gonna be, I think the future is gonna be like three food groups. Your your integration fabric, your data store, your durable data store, and then your query layer. But that's my bias. So, oh man, I'm well, excited. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's very exciting. So the future is bright, right? Um, yeah. Benji, I don't know. If there's only five minutes left on the on the meeting time. Um, yeah, I think we I think we covered everything. Uh, I know there's some cool events coming up soon. Uh, anything you plan to go to, Victoria? Well, uh, yes, there are some virtual events that we can join. So our, a lot of our local meetups are doing that. Uh, I'm actually not sure if we're doing DevOps DC or not next week. I <laughs> get confirmation there. Um, but there's the AWS Cloud Security Meetup, which is usually pretty interesting on May 13th. Um, and there's also a Women in Tech Meetup, Taking Your Technology into the Future, which is pretty cool. Um, I don't know, anything you're excited about? Yes, uh, Data Ops DC, we're having our meetup May 28th, and it's going to be about Yellow Brick, which is like a visualization tool for big data, so it should be very interesting. That sounds cool. What about you, Mike? Uh, oh, um, nothing much. The Data Ops group in DC that I run, uh, which has been a lot of like a vendor focus, mostly at Decode's offices, which is a federal advisory incubator. Um, that's been put on hold for COVID. Um, but I have, I had a couple of speakers lined up because uh, we always tried to do our stuff in person. But um, I think I'm going to have to probably fold it uh, into another data ops group. Right, that's probably the, <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably the best use of, of the data ops group that I run. Um, but uh, no, I actually look forward to, to your guys' meetups so that way I can come in and listen. I swear, listening to you guys talk and, and watching everybody present is so much more fun and, and, and better in general. I, like, I'd rather sit through 45 minutes of a presentation and eat pizza rather than read five hours of documentation by myself. That's way, way better. <laughs> That's not sound fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, answering our questions. I think this was a really good discussion. Hey, thanks, guys. I had a blast. I, I really enjoyed this. Um, it, it, it's okay if I, I send you over a couple of names, too, that I think would be really interesting if you guys could talk to. Yeah, yeah. maybe we can even have them on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of great guys from the, uh, the Comptroller Project that I'd love to get you in, in, inter, introduced to. Yeah, and I love that because I think people assume that government technology is 
all old school, but there's actually a lot of projects out there that are doing really cool, interesting stuff all over the government. Oh yeah, yeah, and the the best part is the when the legacy wrench gets thrown around, you have to like integrate with like an old Power Five series or whatever. Like there's like the when you get a chance, ask the guys from the the controller project about the um, uh, the the legacy system. Uh, it was built in 1964. It's still <laughs> up and running. It's I think it's the oldest enterprise system in existence. Wow. That's awesome. You know? Yeah, calling all Fortran developers. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, cool. Great. Great. Uh, thanks for putting this together, Banjo. Of course. Of course. Yeah, thanks, Banjo. Yep. Thank you for coming, Bye. Mike. Catch yeah. you guys later. Cheers. Bye.